0: Welcome back to He's Dead Jim. This week we've got the best possible news that a Star Trek fan could ever hear. And also we ask the age old question what if the Roman Empire in space? I'm Mick McConnell, and uh, joining me live via Subspace Radio is Admiral Emily Lind.
1: Hello.
0: Good evening, Emily. How are you?
1: I'm good.
0: So good to talk to you. It's been a few weeks. Uh, apologies out there. He's dead, Jimmers, or he's dead. What are we? He's deaders. <laughs> I'll have to try. Are we the he's deaders or are our listeners he's deaders?
1: Um, I think that's the listeners. That's I, the I listeners Cool. They, I don't know if the hosts of a podcast have a nickname.
0: I'm going to end up being like uh, Marin, going, "What's up? He's deaders. He's dead in ears. He's dead buddies." <laughs> Anyway, welcome everybody back to the show. We're greeted by the awesome news that everyone's favourite Captain, Captain Picard, is returning in a brand new series, and of course played by the wonderful Sir Patrick Stewart.
1: It's very exciting.
0: So exciting. And originally I was thinking there were rumours about this for a while, and I was thinking that maybe, you know, Picard's going to somehow show up in discovery but of course that's impossible with the timeline um so he's going to get his own series it's not um it's not an extension of next generation it's going to be a new series of um the next chapter in Picard's life how do you feel about this Emily
1: I I'm super excited like when they When there were some like rumblings about this I guess like I first heard it maybe a couple months ago and I'm like okay that would be cool if it ever happened but certainly Patrick Stewart has better things to do but apparently not and I'm so happy because I'm really he's my favorite and Patrick Stewart is the best and I'm just yeah this is really cool
0: this is so exciting so if we can remember back to the end of Next Generation it kind of See, so it felt like it finished abruptly. Um there was sort of a big last season. The show was really popular, it could have easily gone on a couple more seasons. Um but I think the big part of the I think it was sort of a financial decision the from what I've read, um, that Viacom or Paramount basically wanted to wrap it up and uh make heaps of money out of the syndication while it was still popular and then start making you know new cheaper shows with an unknown cast and we ended up with Deep Space Nine and Voyager a few years later. Trying to think what happened so the it was almost like a quick catch-up episode of you know what happens to the crew. Um, Picard retired to France I think and ran a vineyard. Yes. So I'm guessing this series is probably going to fall in between that unless he runs a vineyard in France and solves crimes or something
1: i would watch that show
0: would you like that a space poirot
1: yeah man why not it's patrick stewart i would watch him do pretty much anything
0: yeah me too me too did did you ever watch the there's a seth mcfarlane produced series about him as a sort of as a right-wing talk show host or something like that um that ends up in a big Sex scandal or something like that, and he's in damage control.
1: Oh, I think I watched. I watched the f- like the f- a first couple.
0: Yeah, I think it was about the same. So when I say I'd watch anything, maybe not anything. Yeah, maybe not
1: anything. <laughs> he's in. I mean, he's in a lot of really terrible stuff.
0: I enjoyed it. though. What I saw, I enjoyed, it, but I just never got around to getting back to it. I think it's on Stan here in Australia. I should look up the name of that series. But very exciting stuff. So this this new series is going to be on CBS All Access uh, in the States, and hopefully that means for the rest of us we'll get it on Netflix, uh, wherever you are around the world. That's a pretty good reason. Are you going to cough up for CBS All Access now?
1: I mean, I might have to. It's, it's going to be pretty hard not to.
0: This could be the thing that finally launches the service properly and forces everyone to sign up discovery season two is the vague news is that it's coming to netflix international early 2019 so i assume that means cbs all access about the same time if not slightly earlier cbs bought a one of our struggling free-to-air television networks here which kind of makes me nervous that one day they might launch a service like all access in australia and then Mm -hmm. I'll have to pay for that. At the moment, I'm loving everything being on Netflix. So back to the Picard series. Um, Let's assume it's not Poirot solving mysteries in the south of France. What do you want to see Picard doing in space?
1: You know what? I would be, I'm perfectly happy with just your bog-standard Star Trek show.
0: Yes, please. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether, number one, whether he's still a captain. The tweet from Star Trek Discovery basically just announced the show that it would be about the next chapter in Picard's life. So I wonder what that means. Is he still serving with Starfleet? Maybe he's an admiral now?
1: Oh, well, maybe not. I don't know. But I feel like, I mean, he's going to be on a starship somewhere doing something in space.
0: Yeah, so exciting
1: i i know there's like it's not a continuation of next generation but i'm hoping we get to see some people like they'd be crazy not to
0: it would cost a lot of money to get all that cast back
1: oh i'm sure but i mean none of them are like particularly big names
0: yeah, that's true. Um
1: Like Jonathan Jonathan Frakes directs a lot. Yeah. I mean, but that's like I haven't seen him act in anything in a long time.
0: Yeah, that's true. So you could probably make it happen. I just wonder I I, I mean, wonder maybe if it'll be one of those things where we see a couple of characters turn up every now and then.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously some of them would be harder than others because like You can't really do data because uh, he's a lot older now. Yeah. That doesn't really work. Like, even the movies were pushing it a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's right. Might have to do CGI data. Motion-captured data. I wonder how that would work. But, yeah. Anyway, so exciting times. Um, So early days for this news. We don't know yet when this is going to go into production, but we know it is, and that's very, very exciting. For Australian and New Zealand fans, William Shatner's touring in September and October. Um, so you could go and see the... I wonder, does he still do spoken word songs? Man, that'll be exciting. Um, so you can go and check him out on stage. Have you ever seen William Shatner live at any conventions or anything?
1: I've been to conventions that he was at, but I've never actually seen him.
0: Ah, oh, there you go. And so, I wouldn't,
1: because he's a huge flaming jackass.
0: Yeah, there's um in a few of his tweets lately. I know this this his Twitter's sort of taken a bit of a turn and going towards some fairly. I Actually, I'd I'd, I'd only hear this second-hand or third-hand. I should get get on and have a look, but I've heard he's been sort of retweeting men's rights activist stuff and getting a bit political.
1: Yeah, he's very... It's all very much, you know, like old white guy yelling.
0: Yeah, and there was some talk about, you know, whether he's actually managing that account or not.
1: Well, yeah, because... Like, okay, I have no problem with, like, believing that he's a crazy old white man who, like, has some seriously, like, sexist shit going on in his head. But there is also, like, some really weird, like, stuff about, like, TV shows and, like, shipping and stuff from, like, Once Upon a Time and Supernatural. It's all very weird.
0: So, so what sort of stuff? Just like commenting on and you know, his favorite episodes of Supernatural, or
1: yeah, but like, but like going like pretty deep into some of like the shipping stuff and like insulting like people who respond to him, and it's it's like it's like the the fandom like war stuff that you would expect from like thirteen year olds.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Isn't it? Well, we did see Elon Musk recently have a massive brain snap on Twitter, so <laughs> it seems like it can happen to anybody, even billionaires. Um, but it does seem odd, like if if we go with the theory that someone else is managing Shatner's Twitter account, then you'd assume it would be a PR company that's just you know tweeting about events and maybe some just some random content you you wouldn't expect them to get political or get into rants and fights with people
1: no it's it's a really odd beast his his twitter account
0: yeah fascinating um so yeah so i don't know if that ended up being a plug but anyway he's touring australia and new zealand um so some pretty big news this week any other news that you have come across
1: i don't think so
0: cool uh his dad has let us know shoot us an email if there's anything cool that uh we should know about uh, and this week, uh, we watched The Balance of Terror. I should stop saying this week because we've had a couple of weeks off. <laughs> but uh, this episode, we watched The Balance of Terror, which it's is so good. so good. Episode 14 from season one or episode 15 on Netflix. And it's the, our first ever encounter with Romulans. So exciting. Um. Stardate 1709.2. It's written by Paul Schneider, directed by Vincent McAviti. And uh, it's also our our first introduction to cloaking technology, cloaking spaceships. It's pretty exciting and pretty terrifying.
1: I thought the cloaking stuff was really interesting because even in Next Generation, the Federation still doesn't know how to do cloaking
0: technology. Yeah. I know at some point there was a treaty signed. Yeah, I'm thinking that somewhere in Next Generation, which the the Federation agreed they wouldn't, you know, invest in, they wouldn't pursue cloaking technology as part of that treaty, which is kind of an odd deal because the Romulans still get to use it.
1: Yeah, and then in... In Deep Space Nine, I believe the Defiant can cloak, which is sort of the sh- like the small ship that they get midway through the series.
0: Okay, and that and that's a Starfleet vessel. Um, I mean, or is that a like an acquired? There's some. Cardassian I have some,
1: ship? I have some vague. Recollection of them like finding a ship or something, but also, I mean, it is like it is the U- I, mean, I believe it's the USS Defiant, but now I'm gonna have to look it up because it's gonna annoy me. There you
0: go. I, I have in the back of my mind the Klingons can cloak as well.
1: Yes, have I imagined so- that. No, I was going to mention that same thing, but I didn't know whether that was right or not.
0: Sorry, I sound. I feel. Very ignorant. But I want, I'm wondering, is that something that happened in the movies or something like that? I know, I know. Kirk and the crew steal a bird of prey and hotwire it. So I wonder. <laughs> I don't remember them cloaking while they're while they're off um, picking up blue whales from the 20th century.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, oh they, they do. Just, no, they the, do. The, oh, no, they totally do. But, okay, so the Defiant no, it was it was built by the federation, but it was like their first like hey, we're building an actual warship.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: And I totally might be making up the thing about it cloaking.
0: So definitely no, the the bird of prey in the Journey Home movie when they land it in the 20th century, they land in a big like a park or something or and they cloak it yeah, so that right. they don't interfere with the okay, yeah, 20th,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Earth's 20th century history. So there you go. So Klingons can cloak, Romulans can cloak, and as far as into next generation, humans can't cloak. Or Starfleet can't cloak.
1: Well, I mean, this episode, like, I mean, it's sort of the repeated thing. And these in these early episodes that I didn't realize is it really is Earth. It is humans. Like they're constantly just talking about Earth fleets.
0: Yeah, definitely in the in the original series, aren't they? And uh, so this episode opens with a wedding on board the Enterprise, uh, with Kirk uh, acting as the celebrant. So it's just like the the captain of the love boat. Just before the ceremony starts, Kirk takes a call from the bridge, and um, Spock warns him that st- there is still no answer from Earth Outpost Number Two, Captain, and now Number Three is gone silent. And so we know there is some ominous stuff going on at the same time as the wedding. Um, Kirk whispers back, uh, "Just maintain course to Outpost Four and keep me informed." And then he heads to the lectern to start the ceremony. So, the big thing I noticed about this is nobody's wearing, you'd you'd think that for a wedding, the captain would be wearing like formal attire. And everybody's just wearing their normal uniforms. Yeah, like a dress
1: uniform.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you think, yeah. You'd think the officers, you'd think, yeah, everybody would be in some sort of dress blazer. Like we know Kirk has a cool green blazer he wears for court martials. Uh, so the, the bride enters and Scotty gives her away and uh, the bride's just in her standard yellow Starfleet uniform. The only wedding attire she has on is a white decoration in her hair that I guess is kind of like some sort of fascinator or something. Yeah. And the ceremony is quickly interrupted by a red alert. So action stations, everybody. Um, we hear from Kirk's log that the Enterprise is patrolling the neutral zone between planets Romulus and Remus and the rest of the galaxy. And they received an emergency call from Outpost four. And Uhura says Outpost four is under attack, sir. And then the message terminates. Uh, as Spock addresses the crew, uh, we learn about the war between Earth and the Romulans 100 years ago. Uh, it, was, it was fought with primitive atomic weapons and in primitive space vessels that allowed no quarter and no captives, and they didn't even have ship-to-ship communication.
1: They didn't even have like visuals, so nobody knows what the Romulans look like.
0: Yeah, so they fought this massive war with an enemy they've never seen. No human Romulan or ally has ever seen the other. And apparently there was a peace treaty negotiated by a subspace radio that established a neutral zone. And if either side crosses it, it would be considered an act of war. Uh, So we get a a cool star chart on the screen. We get a map of Sector Z6 that shows uh, eight Earth outposts that are constructed on asteroids on the Starfleet side of the neutral zone. And on the other side, we see the Romulan Star Empire uh, with planet Romulus. And then we see what looks like a planet... It has the name, I think, is it Romy or Romi with two eyes,
1: Something like that.
0: Something like that. And then apparently that actually, that's actually like a solar system or something. So the chart's a bit confusing. Um, so Kirk advises the crew that he has orders that to avoid interstellar war, both these outposts and the vessel, the the Enterprise will be considered expendable. So, the stakes are pretty high. What we're dealing with here is a potential suicide mission, I guess, which is a pretty brutal thing to have on your wedding day. (laughs) (laughs) Is that like, you know, the Alanis Morissette song, ironic? Does that count as irony? (laughs) Interstellar war on your wedding day?
1: I mean... In the Alanis Morissette definition of irony, I guess that would count, because it uh, it's basically just if something bad happens to you, that's irony.
0: Yeah. So it's really just not irony at all, and just a list of annoying things that could happen. Yeah. On your wedding day. So I like rain or Romulans. Uh, <laughs> very inconvenient.
1: I mean, I'd rather have rain.
0: Than Romulus, yes.
1: If I had to choose, you
0: can deal with rain. You can get umbrellas. You can plan around rain. Have your ceremony inside. What do you reckon their plans were for a honeymoon?
1: You know, that's a good question because it's not like in Next Generation where there's even like a holodeck.
0: Yeah, so I get it. I guess it's a delayed honeymoon for when they get back, or um, unless they're going to stop off and have a couple. Yeah, is it
1: just like next time they're on shore leave?
0: Maybe they're gonna have a you know a couple of nights on romantic Earth outpost four on an asteroid <laughs> right next to the scenic neutral zone
1: yeah that sounds romantic
0: um Spock detects that outpost one and two have been destroyed, and we see we get a shot of the engaged couple in the phaser control room. They're still in good spirits despite their wedding being interrupted
1: it is extremely obviously that one of this couple is is going to die. Yeah. It's like it's the equivalent of like the in a in a cop movie the the cop who's you know one day away from retirement. Yes. Or or if they're like they're talking about how their their wife's about to have a baby or something like that and it's a character you've never seen on the show before.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: They're definitely going to die.
0: But Neither one of them has a red shirt on, so we have to keep guessing. <laughs> Back on the bridge, and we meet uh, an officer, Styles who seems to know a bit about the Earth-Romulan conflict 100 years ago, and one of his ancestors fought in the war, and he's still... Um, still carrying a bit of bigotry from the, (laughs) I guess, from the conflict and, you know, he sort of talks quite passionately about it. Uh, Kirk taps him on the shoulder and says, you know, that was their, remember that was their war, not yours. We get visual contact with Outpost 4 and um, whoever's in charge there is sort of, there's not many people left alive. They were caught by surprise and uh, this is when we start to discover that the Romulans have cloaking technology, um, so that's how they were able to sneak up on these outposts and destroy them. Um, the Enterprise is still close to Outpost Four, but not close enough to intervene and save them. So it's quite tense. They're trying to get, you know, Scotty's trying to get a bit more power out of the engines. Uh, and they can't catch up in time, and the Outpost 4 is destroyed by a massive red ball of plasma, which looks pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that was one of the ones that they um, enhanced.
0: Yeah, it looks good. It looks pretty good. It's, pretty, it's a pretty threatening weapon. So, the Romulans have made some advances in the last 100 years. The Enterprise eventually tracks this Romulan ship. Um, basically, it does some motion sensing or something. So, even though it's cloaked, they can sort of figure out where an object is or where it might be. And uh, Kirk pursues them and basically gets the Enterprise to sort of follow behind where they might be and sort of match their movements.
1: Yeah, because they, they, they realize that while they can't see the Romulans because of the cloaking, the cloaking also prevents the Romulans from easily detecting them.
0: Excellent. So that okay, that makes if more if sense. They
1: match, if they match like alongside of them, then there's like, it's it'd be like they're just... The idea is to make it seem like even if they do see something like their energy trail or whatever, that it's just like an echo.
0: The Enterprise manages to get visual contact with the Romulans for the first time, which is pretty exciting. And uh, we get the reveal that the Romulans look quite like Vulcans, which um, Styles immediately hates Spock and is racist against Spock.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and yeah... It's interesting because I didn't, I didn't. I guess I never picked up on this. Maybe because I never like saw any of the old Romulan episodes. But much like the Klingons, although to a lesser extent, the Romulans get a redesign uh, in next generation forward. So they no longer. They still look similar to the Vulcans, but they don't look exactly the same. Yeah, because they have these like really, uh, like pronounced, like, like bones like coming up angled above the eyebrows and here they just like they just they look like vulcans exactly
0: yeah just slightly angrier vulcans
1: with really weird helmets
0: yeah so the the commander looks fine he just looks like he's wearing a slightly roman uniform i guess he's got a tunic
1: oh and we would be remiss we would be remiss not to say that this actor who plays him will later play a Vulcan because it's the guy who plays Sarek it's it's Spock's dad.
0: I thought that was him. That's a very confusing just casting so, it's choice. It's
1: so Funny, it's it's weird. Be, like if it was like the full on Romulan makeup that we get in Next Gen, or if it were like a different alien species. But it's so strange that they brought him back to play a character who looks exactly the same, but is a different guy.
0: Yeah, that's full on. I wonder if it's just sort of that—the case of you know this actor's so great, and we just we really want to work with him again, so we're going to bend the rules.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know, I know they've reviewed, I know they've reused actors before, but I think they've generally done that like it'd be like somebody has played both a human, and a Klingon. So you can't really tell.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's there's basically no... There's not a whole lot of makeup. There's no mask. That's pretty full on. And he's uh, really
1: good in this episode. I can see why they wanted to bring him back.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's sort of a shame to sort of use him and lose him by the end of the episode. Um. So, yeah, the commander... Which we don't really get introduced to their names or anything, but the Romulan commander, he looks pretty cool in his Romanesque outfit. Um, the other officers that have the helmets on look really silly. Those helmets are ridiculous.
1: Well, why do you have helmets in space?
0: They're dumb helmets and they look silly. Um, the, there's a centurion there, so an older, I guess, Distinguished gentleman. Um, he looks cool and has a cape, I think. So they look fine. Everything's fine except for the dumb helmets.
1: Yeah. Now, one thing that's really interesting about this episode, and because it's pretty unusual by Star Trek standards, is we spend a lot of time on the enemy ship.
0: Yes. And we get, it's interesting, we get the war from or the battle from their perspective. And, yeah, it's interesting. We get to see, like, them copying a huge amount of damage from the Enterprise.
1: Yeah, and it lets, the, it lets, it lets these Romulans, at least, I mean, the, the main two, like, really be characters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is where we get to know the characters and the politics. So, I guess, the Roman Empire-esque politics and we get a young officer with um that's has quite a lot of ambition and probably wants the captain's job uh this officer believes that they're running away from a reflection but the commander says that you know the earth outpost called out to an earth vessel and now it follows the commander summons uh a soldier. Oh yeah, I'm not sure which officer this is, but yeah, the commander summons uh, a soldier and chastises him for
1: uh, sending. So yeah, this guy like he he sent a message back to like Romulan command, even though the the commander had put this like forbidden it, and so he he like demotes him two degrees in rank, and then the um, the, the the other guy warns it the cap the commander be careful because he has this guy has powerful like political friends and it could damage your career which is a nice little touch yeah like it's from this episode they really like there's more groundwork laid for the romulans and what we see later than I would have expected.
0: Yeah, that is a tremendous job.
1: Yeah, and they're like it's. I like this because Romulans are, are next to the Cardassians are like my favorite Star Trek bad guys, and so I was it, was it was cool to see that that all that sort of political militarization stuff has been in there since the very first time they were on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The Enterprise officers, they gather in uh, the briefing room and Styles gets angry and wants to attack immediately. And he yells at Spock for not telling them about the Romulans, you know, looking like Vulcans or being like Vulcans. Uh, and this appears the interesting point is this appears to be news to Spock too. Um, so I think later on we get, you know, a bit more of the, you know, whether it's the next generation or what or the movies or whatever, we get a bit more about how, you know, the, the Romulans and Vulcans, um, you know, separated and how they had wars, et cetera. Um, but the, the backstory we get in this episode is, you know, basically just Spock warns about Vulcans having been through, you know, brutal colonizing period in their history, um, a bit like earth, but worse. And, uh, basically he says, if the Romulans are an offshoot of, uh, the Vulcan race, then they'll be very dangerous and militaristic. And Spock agrees that they must attack immediately. So we know that um, Vulcans, I guess, they were passionate and, you know, militaristic, potentially dangerous race, and they learned to control their urges through meditation and um, control all their emotions. Uh, So I guess what we're dealing with here is Vulcans without Mm. that control. And Vulcans that are passionate and emotional and very dangerous. Uh, And what follows is we get a battle of, basically a battle of uh, minds between the two captains. We get a lot of tactics. Um, The Romulans release some debris to try and obscure the Enterprise's scanners. Uh, But the Enterprise um, targets the area around the the cloaked Romulan ship with basically blanket phaser fire and eventually they they hit the ship and do some damage and it looks like things are going pretty well but uh, the phaser circuit burns out and Spock quickly dives under a desk and opens up a panel and puts out the fire and tries to start repairing things but it's going to take time uh the romulans uncloak and fire immediately and then a huge red plasma ball starts heading toward the enterprise way faster than they can reverse uh and things are pretty dire there's 10 seconds to impact kirk orders that they jettison the logs so that um there's some hope of letting starfleet know what happened before they're destroyed and uh the yeoman asks if she should keep recording new logs. So there's only seconds to live, basically. Um, and Kirk's about to stop her. This is, you know, he changes his mind and sort of just keep going, I guess. Um, and in the last seconds, the plasma starts to dissipate. Uh, so they're, they're very lucky. And now they've got the, not only have they survived, but they've got the knowledge that the, this Romulan super weapon has limited range. Uh, so the Enterprise has shaken up a bit and we get a shot of the engaged couple helping each other off the floor. Uh, back on the Romulan ship, uh, the Centurion is badly injured uh, from the Enterprise's, Enterprises uh, phaser fire. Uh, they're running low on fuel. However, the commander orders them to return to cloak. So we know that this cloaking device comes at a, a huge cost. Kirk instructs Uhura to inform command that, on his authority, they're heading into the neutral zone. So it's very tense. As a big theme in this episode is, you know, trying to avoid war, trying to avoid breaking the treaty. But uh, they know from history that if they ignore the the uh, Romulans and run away from their weapons, then the Romulans will come back in greater numbers. On the Romulan ship, uh, the Centurion has died and the commander has figured out that Kirk is clever and trying to get them to basically waste their fuel. Uh, The Romulan ship's taking heavy fire from the Enterprise. So this, like, like you said before, Emily, this is, we really get a, it's really the only sort of Star Trek episode I can remember where you get a real perspective of the battle from the other side. Yeah, it's
1: really, it's really interesting. I I feel like maybe we've seen a little of that, like a couple of times, but it's definitely not the usual way it goes.
0: Yeah. Uh, And so the commander orders that they eject all the debris from, you know, the damage to the ship. So it's basically panels and pillars and things that, jettisoning jettisoning into space and he even tells them to eject the body of the Centurion, which seems pretty cold. Um, Spock scans the debris and can't find the Roman vessel now uh, with their motion sensors. Um, So they basically figure out that, you know, the ship's playing dead somewhere. They've tried to, I guess, tried to simulate that they've exploded or something and that's that's why the debris is around. Uh, but yeah, no, they've, the Enterprise has figured out that, um, they're, they're somewhere motionless and what we get next is, it's a bit like a, you know, like a submarine movie. We get both ships just lying in yeah. wait for days. They're, uh, motionless, their engines and most of their systems are disabled and even the crew are whispering on both ships.
1: Which, which, what the, what the hell is going on with that?
0: Yeah. Um. Because sound, like, no matter how loud you shout, it's not going to travel out of your ship and through space, <laughs> through a vacuum. Um, I guess, like, are they, are they thinking, like, there's instruments and things that the enemy could use to listen in on your I, ship?
1: I don't know. It seems real far-fetched.
0: <laughs> yeah. It did seem a bit cray. So this goes on for days. This is so uh, basically a, a stalemate to see who flinches first, which commander panics. Um, so everybody's sitting there very quietly whispering. I think it, I heard them say something about like 49 hours had passed and Kirk's lying in his quarters. Yeoman Rand comes in and tries to get him to eat dinner, but Kirk can't eat. I think he eventually settles on a coffee. So everyone's just been quiet. Kirk's amped up on caffeine. Uh, McCoy visits and give, gives him a little pep talk about how unique and special everybody is. And oh, I think he just sort of basically talks about, you know, what are the odds of there being, there's only so many earth-like planets in the galaxy and, out of all those people, there's only one Captain Kirk, so don't destroy that one <laughs> called Kirk or something. It's, mostly, it's, it's a
1: nice little speech.
0: Yeah, it's an odd sort of pep talk. Kirk, you're unique and special. <laughs> Just what you need when you're going to make a like, huge decision. Um, Spock's conducting repairs on the phaser circuits, I think, again, because they're... His original repairs weren't going to hold out forever or something. And he reaches up on the console and accidentally bumps uh, a loud alert button. And then the Romulans pick up this signal and it's on. Uh, So the Romulans move toward the Enterprise. The Enterprise reverses uh, while shooting blanket laser fire. And again, um, does huge damage to the Romulan ship. The Romulans release more debris. Uh, so Spock does a bit of a scan. He's like, "Oh, yeah, just pretty standard debris." But hang on, here's an atomic weapon, and uh, the Enterprise fires—just <laughs> <laughs> a little surprise in there. Um, so the Romulans have still got some of their old hundred-year-old atomic weapons.
1: Yeah, it's just an interesting like thing to carry around with you.
0: The Enterprise fires on it uh, at point blank. I think it's just a hundred—it's just a hundred meters away. Uh, and they survive. There doesn't seem to be any sort of physical damage, but there's, you know, the crew are exposed to some radiation because it's so close. The Romulan commander thinks that the Enterprise is disabled now and he wants to return home. He's trying to be logical. Uh, one thing we haven't sort of touched on yet is the this Romulan commander who's a real sort of born soldier... Um, but he seems to be a bit disheartened with, you know, the Romulan Empire and and war in general. Um, there's maybe a little bit of dissent about him and you know, it's interesting the interaction between him and uh, the younger officers that are passionate and basically want to take over. Uh, we've got an ambitious soldier that basically forces the commander's hand and you know, makes him go back to the Enterprise and finish his job. It's basically, you know, you know your orders, you know your duty. We've got to, got to finish them while they're sitting there as a sitting duck. Um,
1: yeah, it's basically you give the order or I'm going to take over and give it for you.
0: Yeah, and he sort of says, you know, please allow me the honor of the kill. And then the com- commander um, doesn't like this. He says, you know, we will return, but on my order, on my command, but the Enterprise is playing dead. Styles must head down to the weapons room just to help replace the injured crew. And Tomlinson, the groom's there. I'm pretty sure he's the groom that's yes. working alongside him. Um, Spock offers to help them out, but Styles hates him and tells him to go away. Uh, and then immediately when Spock leaves, there's a coolant leak that gasses the room and knocks, it, knocks out both the men and uh, they can't respond to Kirk's call to fire phasers. So the time's right, and uh, Kirk keeps calling out fire, and he's getting desperate, uh, and then Spock runs into the room and saves the day and hits the button on the panel, and uh, they deliver the killer blow to the Romulan ship. So I'm sort of confused. The phasers couldn't fire from the bridge because the... That you know, whatever the coil burnt out. But yet now the phases can't fire because nobody's there to hit the button downstairs. <laughs> it sort of seems confusing. <laughs> but anyway, whatever whatever the story needs. Uh Kirk makes uh visual contact with the Romulan commander and his his ship is ruined and there's basically only him left on the bridge. And Kirk tells him to stand by to beam himself and their survivors on board. Um, and the commander declines and says, uh, in a different reality, I could have called you friend, but uh, we're creatures of duty, Captain. Just one more duty to perform. And then he turns and hits the self-destruct button and blows himself across the bridge. And then in sickbay, um, Styles is recovering, and now he loves Spock, and he's gushing over him, saying, you know, thanks so much for saving us. And uh, Spock is very cold and logical and just says, you know, I saved the officer that we need for the ship to function, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Which I like. Um, and... McCoy informs Kirk that only one crew member died and surprise, surprise, it was the groom. Yeoman Rand enters and uh, she's finally received a reply from command that says they'll support whatever decision Kirk has to make. So that's convenient now that it's all over. And Kirk heads down to the chapel and comforts the grieving bride. And uh, then we get Credits roll up, and uh, we get shots of Kirk uh, walking the halls of the Enterprise looking like a captain. It's a pretty good episode, I think.
1: I think it's the best one that we've watched so far.
0: Yes. Yeah. It makes me want to watch old movies about the Roman Empire.
1: Yeah, like this isn't just like, oh, this was a fun episode of Star Trek. Like, this is genuinely like a really good episode of television.
0: Yeah, very very good. Yeah, the politics on the Romulan ship is fascinating. There's so much in there for a short show. Yeah, and, it uh, makes me
1: it makes me really want to go uh, go back to some of the Romulan episodes on on Deep Space Nine because I mean, like we see we see the Romulans here and there on Next Generation, but Deep Space Nine, you get some sort of like longer arcs with them because when when the dominion war is going on like then the federation is trying to get the romulans like involved and it leads to some really good episodes
0: nice i, I yeah i can't wait to dive in and watch a bit more deep space nine i'm intrigued now
1: and because you Very also cool. have with the romulans you have um You have the Tal Shiar, which is the um, like the intelligence agency within the Romulan Empire, and they are scary as fuck.
0: Wow! So, like Gestapo types?
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. And they're sort of like above even, you know, the normal military, and can sort of like they'll just come in and do whatever they want.
0: Yikes! That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating it's just a fascinating take on war. Um, I guess while this series was being written and airing in the late sixties, the Cold War, I guess, is the background and the that's where I, th- yeah. I think the title, The Balance of Terror, comes from.
1: Yeah, and that that ties in, you can sort of see that, like you said, it's it's like a it's like a submarine movie, a lot of parts.
0: Yeah, and and a a bit about the nuclear arms race as well, I guess, or just an arms race in general. So it's pretty scary to encounter this old enemy um, from so long ago and suddenly they've got all this crazy technology. They can disappear. They can shoot these apocalyptic plasma weapons. How do you feel about how Romulans were portrayed in the rebooted movies? So we get a very angry, bald Eric Banner playing the Romulan captain in uh,
1: what was the oh, first? Then- oh, I
0: was just Star Trek. It was just called Star Trek, wasn't it? The first one.
1: Yeah, and you get that whole like the the, the Romulans and the Remians thing is weird. Which movie is that in? No, I like him. Um. I prefer when they're more political
0: Yeah, rather all their than
1: machinations. Just,
0: whereas Eric Banner's Romulan captain is kind of like a Bond villain. He's a pissed off psycho that's been wronged or feel, feels he's been wronged or let down by Spock. So that's a very yeah, that's different not a,
1: uh, That's not as interesting to me. And he's like, he's just a little he's too crazy. One of the things I like about the Romulans is you have that like super cold, in some ways still very similar to to the Vulcans, but, but with an added like military sheen over it. So they're very controlled and very ordered. And and then Eric Bennett's is just like crazy and yelling.
0: Yeah, he's sort of like, I think we see that in Nemesis, the last of the um Next Generation movies where we get sort of a Romulan, like a military coup or something, like a, a general or someone that, a captain that basically is involved in a plot that destroys like the Romulan High Council or whatever they call themselves. So I guess yeah. those, those sort of characters are a twist on the whole the Romulan identity. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we get any Romulans in Discovery. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've got any in first series.
1: There is a, uh, and unlike Deep Space Nine, it's it's just a, which you sort of have to follow the arcs. There is a Next Generation episode called, I believe, Face of the Enemy Where Counselor Troy is kidnapped by some Romulans and forced to impersonate a Tal Shiar officer, that's really it's a really good episode.
0: I think I remember that, yeah. Does she get like she get facial implants and things?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kidnap her and like give her plastic surgery.
0: Wow. That's that's It's it's pretty hardcore. Yeah, so she gets like the the full bone structure and everything, yeah. wow. I, I, yeah, I, I remember that. Gosh, next, next Gen's good. I can't wait. Um, in a few hundred episodes time, we'll get to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretty sure that's like season six or something.
0: Wow. No, that was pretty cool. Uh, I guess, So just touching on the J.J. Abrams films, I know, I think... You mentioned you haven't seen the third one, Star Trek Beyond.
1: No, I finally watched it.
0: Oh, sweet! On Netflix. I
1: yeah. I was or just going to say for everyone something that it was on. I barely, I, I, I barely remember it.
0: And so that you watched it recently.
1: Like I watched it a month ago,
0: and then oh, I forgot okay, to yeah. mention
1: it on the podcast. i mean, honestly, to be, to be completely honest, I might not have finished it. Cause I don't remember if I did or not.
0: Oh, there you go, forgettable. I'll have to. I'm a bit the same. I'm a bit vague. I'm going to watch it again. It's just I've just noticed it's popped up on Netflix in Australia, which might mean like Netflix normally do international deals for content. So wherever you are in the world, have a look and see if it's on Netflix. If you haven't seen Beyond or if you haven't watched it in a while. I'm sort of the same. I'm a bit vague on what actually happened. I remember the, the very end of the movie is exciting because they head off on their five-year mission and um, you get the cool theme, I think, the original theme.
1: Okay, yeah, okay. Something okay, like no, that. I did, I did see the end because I remember the final fight scene between uh, Kirk and Idris Elba's character.
0: Ah, oh, There you go, yeah. There you go. I'll I'll check that out and I'll uh, I'll get up to date. Um, I think we had some mail. Do you want to open the interstellar
1: mailbag? Yeah, let me get to my email. This is from Swartrev, Trev, and it is. Thanks for continuing to be one of the best Trek podcasts around. I'm curious, other than Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, which TOS recurring character would be your favorite and why? Hmm. I like he, Scotty. Yeah, he hasn't gotten to do much yet, but I love Scotty. And we have we don't have him yet, but I really like Chekhov when Chekhov is finally on.
0: Yeah, Chekhov's great. I love um, Chekhov and Scotty combined, I think. <laughs> There's a good episode where they're getting hammered somewhere on shore leave or something. I think it's the Tribbles episode, and they're having this big argument about which is better, scotch, whiskey, or vodka. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> when, do
1: we, when does Chekhov finally come on?
0: It's got to be soon. It is season one. But I feel like some of these episodes we're getting now—they seem they, the production looks like they were shot earlier. Yeah. So I think we're still getting through some of the original ones, and then check off, check off will pop up all of a sudden.
1: Oh, he doesn't come on until until season two.
0: Really. Why did I think season one? Okay. Yeah,
1: he's in a mock time, which is the the. I guess he's in the premiere of season two.
0: Okay, is that is that a two parter though? Is that one that ends in it's the end of season one?
1: Possibly.
0: I'm to think either way. So that that's good. We'll look forward to Chekhov in season two. Um. Yeah, I think he's one of the, yeah he's one of the great characters. Who else is good that obviously uh, Hura.
1: Yeah, I wish they let her do more.
0: Yeah. We we'll get more Hura in the movies, which is great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think I feel like it's sort of hard with with the original series to pick like recurring characters because I mean, I guess a uh, human rand a little bit, but next generation and the later shows are better at having minor crew characters who are maybe on, you know, only a couple of times a season, but they are still characters and you're seeing the same people. Like O'Brien on Next Generation, like, which is beyond occasionally because he's, you know, the transporter chief. And then D Space Nine, he's like a major character. But in Next Gen, he's just a part of the crew who we see occasionally. And Barclays yeah. the same way. Um, no, obviously there's still you know the red shirts and there's still like random crewmen of the week when they need somebody, but it, it feels more filled out than the original series does.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, the I guess we get recurring sort of villain Comedy relief is uh, Harry Mudd, but he's definitely no favorite of mine.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And his amazing fashion sense.
0: Yeah, that's right. Bizarre camp pirate. (laughs) He's sort of like, yeah, Gilbert and Sullivan pirate. Yeah, so we get recurring annoying people like Harry Mudd and is it Kevin O'Reilly, one of the officers? We seem to get more recurring annoying people than great people <laughs> in the original <laughs> series, or maybe they're just the ones that stand out. But yeah, apart from they're, they're sort of yeah the my favourites would be that I guess the extended ensemble cast. Yeah, Yeoman Rand, nurse. nurse
1: I can't Chapel. even think of the nurse's
0: name. Nurse Chapel, thank you. Um who who would be your favorite recurring cast member in Next Gen?
1: I'm I'm tempted to say Miles O'Brien, but that might just be because I like him so much on Deep Space Nine. Um Uh Guinan, probably.
0: Oh nice, yes, of course. Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. uh Loxana Troy.
1: Oh god, she's so good.
0: Who we know that's um I've forgotten her name, Mrs. Roddenberry? Uh n-
1: no, uh Michelle Barrett. Or maybe Oh it
0: is, Bar- huh. uh, is Migele Barrett that plays um plays Nurse Chapel in the original and is the voice of the computer in next gen. Uh of Troy is fantastic. Uh,
1: Such a funny character.
0: So funny, and just oh, and
1: Q. I mean, Q is amazing.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm interesting. I used to hate Q. I used to find him really annoying.
1: Oh my god, I think I'm maybe go just sort of Oh my god, John Lancey is amazing.
0: Yeah, I've, I've I've come around. I've come full circle. Much, much better and more powerful than Harry Mudd. I think that's about it. Thanks very much, Squire Trev.
1: Okay, there's one from Rob. Hey, Rob. Rob McKinnon, and it is Shatner Sings, in quotation marks. Nice. Hello, he's debtors. I'm stealing Catherine's salutation. As always, I very much enjoyed your episode discussing The Conscience of the King and all of its Shakespearean revelry. You know a performance is over the top when William Shatner has to go bigger to keep up. (laughs) Speaking of William Shatner, it's funny he also discussed his spoken word performances on this episode. His classic album, The Transformed Man, released in 1968 and featuring his infamous versions of Mr. Tambourine Man and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, (laughs) has a very heavy Shakespearean influence. Each of the tracks features a dramatic excerpt of a speech or soliloquy from a stage play before breaking into song, and three of the six <laughs> plays. My personal favorite is To Be or Not To Be speech from Hamlet that transitions into It Was a Very Good Year. Oh, <laughs> I'll God. leave it for Emily to decide if it's good Shakespeare or bad Shakespeare, but I have a guess as to which it might be. I bought a copy of the city many years ago, and I'm happy to share. I'll be sending it to you via WeTransfer. Expect another email shortly. On another musical note, there are a large number of the original series' soundtrack volumes with original music from the show, and most of them are on Spotify. They make great listening while working on something creative. Below is a link to the classic Star Trek fight scene theme, so awesome. Looking forward to meeting Romulans in Balance of Terror next week. Cheers, Rob McKinnon.
0: Thanks so much, Rob. That's a great email. Only oh, just occurs to me now. That I've I've never listened to the full album. I've heard yeah you know, the songs like Tambourine Man, which is mind blowing. Um, but yeah, that's going to be something else. Getting Shakespeare as well. <laughs> so bizarre. Um, I wonder if it's on. Yeah, I wonder if that is on Spotify. I've got it uh, Apple Music, so I have to look it up. I'm to look it up now. The transformed man. Mm. No, it looks like this parody stuff, but or Star Trek themed stuff, but no, no transformed man on Apple Music. So yeah, we'll have to find it through other means. But uh, yeah, pretty exciting stuff. What was Spock's album or Leonard Nimoy's album? It was like. The two sides of Mr. Spock or something like that. <laughs> or the two sides bad. of Le- no two sides of Leonard Nimoy. And I think on one Yeah, it's on one side it's got uh, a picture of Leonard Nimoy smiling and being normal and then him as Spock. And then he sings the what's um, the ballad of Bilbo Baggins, which is
1: Which is amazing. It's so good. I love it so much. It is like, the fact
0: that that exists is so bizarre. It's very odd. So, that is, um, I'm pretty sure this sort of... It's obviously when the Lord of the Rings novels were very popular in the 60s and it would have had to have been before, like, the original animated Lord of the Rings movie was made. I'm guessing that was 70s, guessing. But, yeah, it was so weird. So, this could be the first... TV visualisation of Hobbits. And uh, so we got, it's like a 60s surf movie or something. we got all these teenagers cruising around. I'm trying like, Leonard Nimoy is dressed as Spock singing a song about the Hobbit. It's just, <laughs> it's just so bizarre. And it's just that, yeah, that classic 60s teen pop music. Um, I shall have to, I'll tweet out a link to the YouTube video or look it up up on YouTube. It's definitely something. What's your favorite song performed by a member of the Star Trek cast?
1: Oh, it's it's The Battle of Bilbo Baggins.
0: Nice. Very cool. I think mine is still Rocket Man.
1: (laughs) That's a good one too.
0: (laughs) Both very good. Um, Rob, you're a uh, wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for reaching out and educating us on the important things in life. I had a comment from Eric on Facebook that says, hurry back. I miss your podcast. Thanks so much, Eric. And uh, thanks for being patient. I've had a couple of busy weeks. so Sorry, uh, I've been a bit slack with potting uh and emily had a nice holiday there in the mix how was your holiday emily
1: uh it was good it was nice to it was nice to see my family and just to like hang out on the beach and eat lots of fried seafood
0: awesome so jealousy you guys getting a summer not that it gets very cold in brisbane but uh yeah thanks for your patience guys we're um Things are a bit busy at the moment, so the episodes might be slightly less frequent, but uh, we'll definitely, definitely keep potting. And we'll look forward to next time we pod. We'll be potting about shore leave, which would be very exciting. Very cool, Emily. What would you like to plug this week?
1: Let's see. I will plug the Star Wars podcast that I do with my friend Brittany, and that is called the Canto Byte Dispatch. And finally, I've talked about it before, but uh, we actually recorded one. The uh, Twin Peaks podcast that I do. Um, Yes. Charlie and Mickey is going to be back. It should be up um, on like this week. And we're going to be going through all of the Twin Peaks canon. And we recorded the first episode about the the tie-in book, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer.
0: So cool! I I can't wait. I'm very excited. Um, Mickey is a journalist from Geek Bomb as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, and she was on. Um, she was on a few of our our episodes when uh, when Twin Peaks: Return was airing, and so this time around, she is a permanent co-host.
0: Wonderful! She's awesome. Uh, I definitely recommend checking that out. Such a great pod. Very cool. Um, you can follow us on, uh, all of the socials, probably not all of the socials. Sorry. <laughs> you can follow us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at He's Dead Jim Pod or shoot us an email, He's Dead Jim Pod at gmail.com. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Um, good friends of the show, the Ain't It Rich podcast are doing their first ever live podcast in Brisbane. Uh, next weekend, Saturday and Sunday afternoon as part of the Brisbane Funny Fest. And they're at, uh, that's going to be live at Bar. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, if you haven't heard it yet, Aria Salen from Ain't It Rich joined us for, uh, back on episode eight, where we watched What a Little Girl's Made Of. Uh, And that's a super funny episode, so definitely check that out. And uh, next time we pod, we'll be podding with Mickey Flykick from Aid at Rich. So uh, looking forward to that, to talk about Shore Leave, which is an episode he specifically selected. Um, I better actually do my homework and do a report because uh, I know those guys for Aid at Rich, they do massive 3,000-word essays for each pod. So I know... um, Mickey will throw down the gauntlet. He'll have all sorts of trivia and knowledge about that episode. It'll be a welcome change from me speculating wildly about everything. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, if you're in Brisbane, definitely um, go and check them out. There'll be some fun shows next weekend. And you can find out about those on com. And uh what else did I want to plug? Oh yeah, our very good friends on that geek pod, Catherine Neen, former guest of the show. Um, they've just done an awesome recap of the Marvel cinematic universe. And they're up to phase three now, so definitely recommend checking that out if you're into Marvel as well. Super exciting. Have you seen Ant Man and the Wasp yet, Emily?
1: I no, I'm sort of behind on the Marvel movies.
0: I was way, way behind, but then the kids got me back into it, and I'm caught up. Except I have not seen Infinity War yet. So now it's finally out on digital download. I'll, I'll have to catch up. I know, I know, some shit goes down. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I yet. know, I know, some stuff happens in Infinity War. Have, have you? Where are you up to? What's the most recent one you saw?
1: Well, here's the thing: is I just don't watch them all. So I saw I saw Ragnarok because yeah. he's an amazing director, and I had heard really good things about that one, so I watched that one. And I saw I saw the second Guardians of the Galaxy. But yeah, that was cool. I didn't see Infinity War. I don't... I don't think I ever watched, um... Age of Ultron. Because I just couldn't be bothered. I didn't watch Civil War.
0: Yeah, Captain America ones bore me a bit. I think that's what... sort of turned me off a bit to start off with. But yeah. And and even if you didn't like the first Ant-Man, I honestly reckon... Ant-Man and the Wasp is super good fun. The kids love them anyway.
1: I'll watch it when it appears on one of the many streaming things that I have.
0: Indeed, and definitely, as always, stay stay for the credits, or skip ahead past the credits when you're watching at home. Very cool. So yeah, check those out. Um, our, our buddies at uh, that Geek Pod are doing some really cool stuff. I think that's about it from us this week. Um, definitely, if you've got time, jump on iTunes and give us a five-star review. And uh, that helps other cool people like you find out about us. And uh, we really appreciate that. Thanks very much, He's debtors. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye.
1: Bye.